Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the In Conversation with eClinical Medicine podcast. I'm Hannah Lynn, Senior Editor at eClinical Medicine, part of the Lancet Discovery Science. Each month we'll be interviewing an author of a paper published in our journal, giving them an opportunity to provide a deeper discussion of their research. We're joined today by Dr. Daniel Myron to talk about his recent paper on the risk of anxiety disorders following an emergency department visit due to cannabis use. Dr. Myron is an assistant professor with the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Ottawa and an investigator at the Bruyere Research Institute in Canada. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Myron, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on the show. So to start with, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your research interests and what led you to study the effects of cannabis on health? So I'm a a family physician with training in public health, and I'm very interested in understanding how uh, big public policy and drug policy impacts the mental health and substance use of people in society. And what's, you know, in Canada, we legalized non-medical cannabis in October of 2018. And there's been a lot of discussion about what have been the health impacts of that. Has cannabis use changed? Are people having more healthcare visits related to cannabis use? And part of our work evaluating what's happening with cannabis legalization has also been to understand what are some of the health impacts of using cannabis? What are some of the risks uh, and potentially some of the health benefits that come from cannabis use. Uh, And in this study, we were very interested in understanding what's the relationship between patterns of heavy cannabis use and the development of anxiety. Yeah, focusing on your study that you recently published with us, um, as you say, investigating the risk of having an instant healthcare visit for an anxiety disorder following an emergency department visit for cannabis use. Could you summarize the approach that your research team used to investigate this and the key findings of your study? So we use uh, big data in in the research that I do. And in this study, uh, we examine the healthcare visits of everyone who lives in the province of Ontario, which is the most populous province in Canada. So there's uh, over 14 million people who live in the province. And what we did is we examined uh, healthcare visits for cannabis use and for anxiety over a a 10-year period. And so we took everyone in the population uh, and we said anyone who at the time of entry into the study has an anxiety disorder. So they've had a healthcare visit for anxiety uh, in the past three years is going to get kicked out of the study. And then what we do is we follow people forward and individuals who have an emergency room visit for cannabis use get compared to people who don't. And we see what the risk is of developing the anxiety disorder over time. Uh, so what we found was is that uh, for the individuals who, you know, if, if you remove everyone who's ever had an outpatient visit with a physician for anxiety or an emergency room visit or a hospitalization for anxiety, for the group of individuals who have an emergency room visit for cannabis, 27% of them within three years will have a new healthcare visit for an anxiety disorder in an outpatient emergency or hospital setting compared to around 5% in the general population. So you know, a 3.9 times risk of having a, an incident or new healthcare visit for an anxiety disorder. And if you also look at individuals who have potentially had, you know, that some of them will have had outpatient anxiety visits, but they've never needed to be in the hospital or visit emerge for anxiety. 
again, you see a similar pattern where people who have an emergency room visit for cannabis use are then around four times more likely to have an emergency room visit or hospitalization for anxiety, suggesting that they're you know, an existing anxiety disorder is getting worse, or these people are having a very severe first presentation of an anxiety disorder. One of the particularly concerning observations was that the risk of having an incident healthcare visit for an anxiety disorder was particularly high in adolescent males. Why do you think that the risk was higher in this particular group? So I, I think that what we're seeing, yeah, in, in a, across, you know, every age group and, and by sex, there was, there was an elevation of risk. So pretty universally across the, the life cycle. But we did see that in younger adults and in men, there was a, in, in younger men, there was a higher risk associated with it. And there could be a variety of factors that are going on. Uh, there's, you know, there's been lots of research, particularly in the area of the risk of psychosis, of how uh, cannabis use impacts developing aspects of the brain. And one of the thoughts is, is that male brains develop at a slower rate or, or reach maturity at a later, later age than uh, female brains. And, uh, you know, one of the thoughts is, is that uh, cannabis use has a particular impact on developing brains and that the risk may be elevated in this group because their brains are maturing later. Uh, there's also different patterns of cannabis use in men and women, so younger men are more likely to have daily pattern, daily patterns of cannabis use uh, or, or near daily and maybe using higher THC strength products. So it could be different patterns of use and, and the types of products that are being used. Uh, and it also may be related to uh, differences in the way people seek care. Uh, so men may be, uh, you know, one of the patterns that may be happening here, and this is one of the alternative explanations for findings, is that uh it could be that some of the people, and even likely that some of the people in this study, have had anxiety before their emergency room visit for cannabis use and are self-medicating their anxiety symptoms with cannabis use. And it could be that men are more likely to be doing that, and so that the association seems stronger uh, in the males rather than females. Kind of delving a little bit into the possible factors or, or mechanisms that could explain this association. Are there other factors that might have played a role in the development of an anxiety disorder, or were these also considered in the analysis? Yeah, so I, I think that there's probably three things that are going on. There, you know, this is a strong association. It's not a causal association. We shouldn't look at this and say, you know, the study results are saying that patterns of cannabis use that require care in the emergency room visit cause people to develop anxiety disorders. There may be a causal element that's being captured in the study. And, you know, and again, that may be related to changes in the way neurons are firing, brain development, and people, you know, one of the things that can happen, uh, you know, in my clinical practice, which uh, I have, I do some addiction medicine work, is I often see that people uh, who are experiencing some anxiety or emotional distress are kind of using cannabis to, to numb or diminish some of those feelings which may feel good in the short term or may help in the short term, but doesn't necessarily lead to, to long-term positive coping skills and resiliency. The, the flip side, and again, I think this is probably true, is that there is a group of individuals in the study who have severe symptoms of anxiety, uh, may meet criteria for an anxiety disorder, but have yet to seek care for it within the health system. And they are using 
large quantities of cannabis to try and self-medicate those symptoms. And, you know, that that would explain part of the association that we see. And, you know, again, one of the comments there is that this is relevant too. If people are, if a lot of individuals with anxiety disorders are using cannabis, uh, it's potentially of clinical concern because the evidence for whether or not cannabis works for anxiety disorders is quite limited compared to, you know, a variety of other treatments like medications and CBT. Uh, the third thing that could be going on, and again, I think this is probably contributing to some of the association, is that there's a shared genetic and environmental background that predisposes people both to anxiety and to cannabis use. And so it's it's not actually, you know, you're, so this association that we're seeing in the study is just capturing this, this confounder or set of confounders that are in the background, and it's not actually capturing a causal pathway. You know, and when you look at these three broad explanations of what are going on, they're not mutually exclusive. I think that all could be and all probably are at play for, for explaining this association. Definitely more research is needed into understanding this association. So are there any limitations or potential biases in the study design or data analysis that could affect the interpretation of the results? And if so, how might future research address these limitations to further our understanding of the relationship between cannabis use and anxiety disorders? This is a, you know, it's a, it's a big study and it happens at the population level. We have a lot of, uh, we can control for a lot of factors related to prior healthcare use. But, you know, some of the stuff that we're missing is more detailed patterns about people's other risk factors and social factors and genetic factors. So I think that more studies that can bring in a larger number of potential confounders would be very helpful. Another gap in the research is that because we look at everything at the population level, right, we're capturing the healthcare visits for 14 plus million people. This isn't, there's no survey data that's coming into this. So there's no, you know, we're not reviewing charts to figure out what kind of cannabis people use and how frequently and, and the strength that's into it. So we have very limited information about the patterns of cannabis use. And that both means that when you interpret the results of the study, that this really applies to people who have emergency room visits for cannabis and probably have a cannabis use disorder, rather than being able to say, oh, if you use cannabis once a week, you know, it's going to increase your risk of an anxiety disorder. Uh, we don't have that kind of data. And I think that as you know, we progress in this area, we need to have a better understanding of what are what are the patterns that, you know, if this is a true causal problem where, you know, heavy cannabis use results in anxiety disorders, what's the what's the gradient of risk? You know, is it that occasional use has no risk and heavy use confers a large risk? Is it fairly linear? That, you know, every amount of cannabis causes some increasing risk and that it just increases the more you use. And I think that we do need to start answering some of those questions. And it becomes very relevant because the number of people who use cannabis globally, uh, particularly in North America, is increasing rapidly. Uh, and I think that, you know, people who are choosing to consume cannabis need to have more information about what some of the, the health risks or potential health benefits that, that come from it are. And finally, how can healthcare providers effectively communicate risks such as uh, those identified in, in your study uh, to patients and the general public, especially in the context of changing attitudes and policies towards cannabis 
I think in general, there is a sense that cannabis use is benign and confers very low risks. And it's often contextualized against other drugs. So, in, you know, in Canada, we have an opioid crisis. There's a large burden of health harms that occur at the individual and population level from alcohol use. And the discussion about cannabis is often that, look, this is not a, you know, this is not a harmful substance, particularly relative to, to other drugs that people are using. And I think conversations about cannabis need to be more nuanced rather than saying that this is not an substance that does not confer any health risk that we need to have discussions about how there are certainly signals they've, they've been here for some time that cannabis may cause fairly adverse mental health problems and they may not those mental health problems and that risk of mental health problems may not be uniform across the population but i think our study and you know other work particularly in psychosis and schizophrenia is highlighting that there is a group of individuals who may be quite vulnerable to adverse mental health impacts from cannabis use, particularly uh, regular use of cannabis and, again, use of, of products that have a higher THC content. And I think that that messaging needs to come across in general to the to the population of saying, look, this is, this is there and that, you know, you should be aware of this potential risk and you should consider that if you have a, a personal or family history of major mental health problems that that cannabis may not be a good substance for you for you to use, particularly starting earlier, you know, using it in, in higher quantities. I think there's an immediate clinical perspective too, where you know data like this and some of the other findings uh, may be useful for healthcare providers who are treating people with anxiety disorders who they think are at risk of developing anxiety disorders. And saying that, look, that you know, the data, the data here is suggesting that there may be some warning that this could worsen an anxiety disorder or cause you to develop one when you wouldn't, and that you know that, that you may be hearing that this could be good for anxiety or this is a good option to to self medicate. And there's certainly a warning signal that for some people it may not be. Uh, and having discussions about what are some of the other uh, you know evidence based therapies that are that are available and could be tried. Thank you for sharing your insights into this um, really interesting and important topic um, and for joining us on the podcast, Dr. Myron. And thank you, listener, for listening to this episode of Eat In Conversation With. Read the full paper associated with this podcast by clicking on the link in the show notes. Remember, you can subscribe to Eat In Conversation With eClinical Medicine wherever you usually get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.